absolutely had to shift and pivot, right? So I think that's an important component of our conversation is you have a startup, you have this idea, and then you're like, oh, you have to listen to what customers really need and what market opportunities out there and, and realized, and actually it happened with Superstorm Sandy, the catastrophe really made this happen. I first saw Robin Robinson on stage four years ago talking about the company she founded and led at the time, We Go Look. Now, we all know about the benefits of going digital, but some of the most interesting companies are those building technology that makes people more effective rather than aiming to replace them. Over the next 30 minutes or so, you're going to hear what motivated Robin to leave paid employment and start up a company, building up a community of what she refers to as lookers across the US. That was with We Go Look. Uh, We're going to find out who the initial offering was for and then how, after Hurricane Sandy, Robin ended up in insurance. Robin talks about the challenges for female founders and shares some research that may challenge some of the current preconceptions. Having sold We Go Look, Robin explains how she broadened her interest exploring consulting and cyber risk before taking on her most recent role as US Managing Director for Claims Central Consolidated. Matthew Grant here. Welcome. It's the first time you've joined us. And if you are a regular listener, great to be invited back into your day. Now, I've interviewed over 150 people in the last couple of years for the podcast and during our events. And we've had some great guests doing incredible things. But my interview with Robin is not only one of the most inspirational I've recorded. It is, as you'll discover if you listen to the end, one of the most personal interviews I've done as Robin generously shares her experience from the last few months with some advice for all of us. Robin, really looking forward to this discussion. I have been a great admirer of what you were doing in your previous company, We Go Look, uh, since I heard you talk on stage a few years ago, it was now, uh, and really interested to hear how you went from a what looked like a career in broadcasting to setting up a company providing support, I think, amongst other things, for claims <laughs> analysis. Welcome to joining us. How are you today? Thank you, Matthew. I'm, I'm fantastic. And it is a true honor to be a, a guest on your podcast. So looking forward to our discussion. Well, thanks. Well, last time we spoke, oh, we tried to record this. We had an ice storm coming through, which is like <laughs> seasonally early. Uh, but I think it's now all past now. It is past, but it was, you know, it's a perfect uh, intro into claims, right? Like you're, in, you're in, inside one of the events itself. So yeah, we have ice storms and hurricanes, all kinds of good stuff going on here. Really interested, first of all, just to hear how you went from broadcasting to setting up We Go Look in I think, 2009, and then you sold it in January 2017 and have now, are now running Claim Central Consolidated for the US, which we'll talk a bit about. But yeah, how, how did you... How sure. did you come up with the idea to set up a business and you know, what gave you the motivation to move from one area of the, the world or business world into another? Well, I, I love that question because I believe that each of us are just on a unique life journey and, and professional path and it all crosses over. For me, what happened is, is directly out of college, I started working for the Washington Post. Um, I learned a lot about different customers, the back end, front end. Um, really kind of learning what what made them tick, right? I, I loved doing what I was was doing. I, I was advancing within the company. 
but I've actually lost both of my son's fathers to car accidents. And when those events happened, I felt like, you know, I really needed to start my own company. I needed to have a a flexible schedule and I wasn't quite sure how to do that, but I had been working with several different clients at the post and had moved on to like Cumulus Media, a a large uh, media company here. And um, really just felt like, you know, it was a good time for me to start my own consulting company. I was in my late twenties when that happened, but started my first company there, had several other companies after that. One failed, the others were successful, but, uh, you know, I worked with car dealerships and auto dealerships. So this will date me. (laughs) Some of my clients didn't have websites. And I was like, guys, you have to have a, a website. Look at all this organic traffic that's coming in. You know, these are these are hot leads. And I, I learned a lot about the entire automotive business through that venture. That's what really helped shape the idea of how we go look could work. So in, in 2009, I had a friend that was looking at a high-end projector on eBay. He wasn't quite sure if the seller was real, if what condition it was in. I was like, there's got to be a service for that. I mean, people are buying on eBay all the time. And I did some research and couldn't find a company doing that. And I thought, wow, this is a, this would be a great, you know, solution to a problem that's out there, you know, and I had been on some bad online dates, you know, there's, there's all kinds of things you could use someone to go um, on your behalf to verify an item, right? So I, I initially started, we go look conceptually as, uh, you know, really working for people like you and I mitigating our risk when purchasing something sight on scene. And then, of course, you know, putting it down on paper, really figuring out, you know, how do I create this large network of independent contractors that you could dispatch on demand to gather field data, right, in the forms of photos, video, et cetera. And so that's how all of that started. But that was kind of my path. It was a, a long, up and down, windy, curvy path, but it, it led me to where I am today. Well, Robin, that is a, a really inspirational story. I mean, you took a deep personal tragedy and you took the energy f- to resolve that and turn into a business i'm really intrigued by when you talked about your we go look in there we go look as you were you mentioned sort of in passing you had some bad dates and and so in addition <laughs> to the projectors did you also in your early days of we go look did you have people that could go out and check people's dates to make sure they were the right kind of people before they actually met up we did we did it was interesting because we um had some people want us to be more like a private eye, right? And then we were like, no, we don't do that. But we could go to a Starbucks and meet someone and take a current photo. So this was really before a lot of the the cameras and of course, FaceTime and things like that too. I mean, you think about how much technology has advanced in just the last few years. We did that a few times. It wasn't obviously our largest service that we provided. We really focused on um, automotive. We did some work for banks and things like that. But Individual items, we you know, pinball machines, collectibles, heavy equipment, those were really kind of our, our sweet spot for individuals back then. Well, it could have been a fascinating fork in your career. We could be having a very different discussion <laughs> just now, but clearly it was very successful with where you did end up, which was, and I, was it entirely around claims ultimately, or was it, is that just one of the areas you're looking at in addition to some of the original eBay purchases? That's a great question. So, uh, to your point, absolutely had to shift and pivot, right? So I think that's an important component of our conversation is, you know, you have a startup, you have this idea, and then you're like, oh, you have to listen to what customers really need and what market opportunities out there and, and realized 
and actually it happened with Superstorm Sandy, the catastrophe really made this happen, but um, had a large um, bank that needed a portfolio of properties looked at. And they reached out to one of their smaller banks. Um, long story short, we were able to go in with a FEMA certified looker and capture all that information and submit it back. But it, I still didn't realize at that moment, this was in, of course, 2012, late 2012, that insurance was where, where I needed to be because that was more on the banking finance side, right? And we, we were doing a lot in auto inspections, you know, for, for fleet companies, again, for loans. But where, where the um, kicker for me turned was I had a client introduce me to one of the nation's largest companies through an RFP process. They said, you know what, you're perfect for this. And they reached out to the carrier and said, Hey, we can't do this for you. We received the RFP, but we know someone who can. And it was just because I had a great customer relationship with that group that I had that referral. And I went out and actually landed the RFP in in that contract. And that's what opened my eyes up to insurance. And I started learning everything I could about insurance. Insurance is not my background but I've been in it now for about eight years. It's slightly self-serving or self-selecting because this is an insurance-related podcast and naturally everybody ends up <laughs> in insurance. But it is interesting how many people don't <laughs> expect to get there and they start off doing something else very different. But building a business, in your case, you, you've had to find clients, but presumably you've also had to find people to go and look for you. I mean, actually, you have a, sure. you had a term for them. Were they, are they lookers? Or lookers. Right? Yeah, so, so that's what we called them back in the day when we were working on, you know, what types of persons do we want to represent the company? Looked for, you know, mobile notaries, process servers, people that were already in the field and mobile, right? People that were used to independently going out and meeting with someone and following instructions. So that's, that's really the initial group that we went after also worked with the military. And so that was kind of the initial push, but then we realized that as we grew and our training modules improved, we were able to just bring on a lot of retired people that were professionals in their industry, you know, back in the day. And so that, that was the the key on how we were able to recruit and um, look for that network. So we just had to kind of think outside the box. It was a lot of work to build that up. And what I think is fascinating now is, you know, you don't have to build and maintain a network like that anymore. You can just simply connect to them. So now what I'm working on is what I would call, you know, an evolution of that whole process, whether it's data capture or the network. So now I'm able to connect to many organizations, including one like a WeGo Look, right? So you have access to Uber and to Lyft and Postmates and uh, street delivery and all of these different types of groups, all via technology. So it's really fascinating to see what we worked so hard to achieve that we can just multiply easily leveraging technology now. Yeah, but still I mean, pushing the boundaries, even if it's now, it's, it's companies, not people. But just before we sort of move on to uh, talk about Claim Central Consolidated, just on the way that you worked with your, your lookers, I mean, Clearly, they were mm-hmm. going out using people to look at what was on site. but And some of that can be replaced by technology. But what's your sort of view on the balance between technology and people? Because my sense, sometimes we tend to expect too much in technology and forget you know, how smart the human brain is. Did you see technology both as an enabler? But I mean, is there a point at which, you know, or are we some way from where technology is going to replace people for some of those kind of decision-making uh, sort of, choices 
whether it's underwriting or, or claims. I'm answering that question a little differently than I would have if you'd asked me this, you know, nine months ago, uh, because I think that that the individual uh, policyholder in in the instances that we're talking about now are much more apt to try to use the technology that's provided to them by the carrier, right, or or a third party, um, because they don't want anyone coming to their home. I think that a combination of technology with people will will always still be needed. But I do believe that technology will take over a lot of the manual processes now and people can focus on the more complex or more on that customer relationship. It's hard to have a customer relationship with your phone. <laughs> I think that's where people will be needed. Although anybody with teenage children might wonder sometimes if the, the Well, that's is- true. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> um, but but your early your earlier point in that as you were saying it just for me one of the sort of things I'm thinking about is it's not just it's not just technology evolving but actually there are people coming into the workplace or in, you know, the, the children are growing up and being able to help the parents with things like just taking photographs for a claim so you're actually seeing a, a you know, greater willingness to, and a greater almost like educated group of people who can actually use the tools as well as the technology. So moving on to, to, to Claim Central's Consolidated. So you sold We Go Look. You then left them, I think, last year. And, and now you're running Claim Central Consolidated for North America. Can you just talk a bit about what, what that's off, offering? I left. I stayed on We Go Look for about two and a half years and, and then departed early last year. Over the past you know, 15 months, created a consulting company and worked a lot inside of uh, data tokenization and cybersecurity, uh, became equity partners in a low-code, no-code platform called BuildArray, and just really stayed relevant in, in the insure tech space. But earlier this year, yes, Claim Central reached out. They were interested in our take on their technology platform that they've created. So I don't know if, how familiar you are with Claim Central, but they're based out of Australia. And they've been in business for about 20 years. They're about $150 million a year company there. Uh, very successful. Brian Simpson, the, the CEO and founder, he's he's just an incredible guy. He's built a, a rock star team, but he's also created multiple companies. So they have a TPA. Um, they have an auto claims platform, trades network, water mitigation company, and of course, with different locations throughout the world, uh, their footprints in New Zealand, South Africa, and a small presence in Italy as well. So about uh, almost two years ago, they wanted to soft launch a, a piece of the business here in the U.S. So Brian's realized over time that the technology that he's created to support all of his other businesses could be you know, useful for others. And that's really where we come in. So while they're heavily services focused in other parts of the world, here in North America, we're 100% focused on the technology play. And that is where we've built this open marketplace where we're connecting service providers and the insure techs together. So, you know, you're familiar with Guidewire Marketplace. This is very similar, but we're actually adding uh, the services component to it, and it's it's very affordable to clients of all sizes. So we're focused on those that are are kind of underserved as well. And yes, I mean, Guidewire Marketplace. Actually, I was talking to them yesterday. We did an event talking about that and uh, some of the companies they've got on it. But yours is 
bringing in the services, it's bringing in the technology. And I mean, you mentioned InsureTech, but of course, depending on what people define as InsureTech these days, there are lots of well-established companies that have been around for you know, longer than InsureTech has been mm-hmm. invented. So I think you've got more established companies in there as well. Yes. And to your point, uh, you know, we're not competing at all with Guidewire. We're absolutely, this is complementary to, to Guidewire as well. And we feel like the adoption by InsureTech has just still been slow because you have all of these different disparate systems. And we're able to offer this, you know, connect once with access to many. We can take a field service company and we just purchased Livegenic. So I hit the ground running and I, I went through my first acquisition, of, which was exciting. So live video collaboration tool, Livegenic. But we're able to take um, and pair, say, a Livegenic to an IA firm and then enhance the measurements with a planner or a hover, et cetera, for the carrier. So there's a lot of ways to kind of mix and match the different components. I actually liken it to a McDonald's hamburger, right? Or a McDonald's menu. You go in, you say, I'd like a Big Mac with um, the, the fries and, and the, the Coke and the, the burger all at once, or you can have an uh, a la carte. So we have kind of pre-bundled solutions as well. So people can come in and easily order whatever they need to or launch from the marketplace. Claim Logic is that the name of the marketplace. Is that right? We're actually about to go through a rebrand. Should have the final on the name of that. So we'll be launching that as well. When I say here in the US, I actually did bring over my COO and business partner from We Go Look, Kenneth Knoll. We've been working together for about 10 years now, but he's over at Claim Central with me as well. So it's a, uh, we're, we're tag teaming. <laughs> so you're, you're kind of agnostic to policy administration systems and other platforms out there. Right. We were definitely agnostic. By the way, people don't have to actually connect um, or use our platform for their claims management system. It's all modularized and they're able just to connect via API. And that point, you touched on this a little bit earlier about the, how, how some of the challenges that InsureTechs have for being able to do work with insurance companies. It's not, not entirely their own fault. But this is a way of making it easier, I assume. So you, if people can kind of connect through your platform, then, then for an insurer to get access to one of your clients, it's, a, it's easier because they're essentially on the platform. Absolutely. That you know, approach of making it convenient and efficient. We, we're trying to make it very easy. And we understand adoption and, and legacy systems. So we have kind of a hybrid model as well. So we're, we're um, really able to work with all different types of customers. And what, how do you find about the integrations? Because, yeah, hopefully any company that started up today is seeing the value in building out API connectivity. But are you finding that's generally the case now for people that you want to put on the platform, that it's actually relatively straightforward for them to connect in, or are there still challenges? And you mentioned low-code, one of the companies you got involved with. But is there some work to be done to actually get people to be able to plug into your own platform? Yeah, it really depends on the customer and where they're at in you know their digital roadmap as well. It's really interesting. You know, we were talking about just a few years ago how how much technology is advanced. I can remember going to conferences for four years ago and talking about API connectivity in the cloud, and people would just look at you with you know a blank stare. And you have to really, if you keep that in mind, how much now it's expected, right? Mm. Um, and 
of course, that's that's the way that we want to work together. Is that that that's what enables all of this, all this API connectivity. But yeah, there are still companies out there that you have to do custom integration with. And the APIs have been around for at least twenty years now, maybe twenty one. The last time I looked, and it's just a reminder that even great technology ideas can take a long time to get adopted. And until they do, you have that challenge of interoperability. What's the business model then for Claims Consolidated? How do you make your money out of the, the platform? We are not charging anyone to be a customer. Um, we want, again, people to have access to this provider network. So what we're doing is we're monetizing by uh, collecting a, a fee from within those providers. So we're actually kind of, it's like a referral fee, right? right. We're bringing them extra business. And something I think that's really neat is uh, some of the providers that we have now will, uh, when they're working with an individual carrier or customer, they're, you know, requiring a minimum volume commitment. We don't do that. So, you know, we're just going by use because we're kind of a master vendor, if you will. So there are companies that are able to save money with us because they may want a product. They're like, well, we can't you know, reach those minimum um, volume commitments, but we can actually just pay per use um, through the platform. So I think that's just a, another benefit of the platform. Yeah, yeah, makes it more accessible. Uh, and then uh, do you sort of validate the companies that come on there? So if someone's using one of your partners, do they know that there's been a sort of some kind of level of due diligence to make sure, particularly when it comes to the services side, which I guess can sometimes can be harder to assess versus the tools or the data but, but but do you add that into the, the offering? What we're doing right now is we're working primarily with vendors and service providers that we're very familiar with and have had a lot of experience with. We're actually in the process of creating that document. What does that look like? You know, if it's someone that's kind of unknown to us or if they're new to the market, you know, what will that due diligence be on that provider? So, we're not to a, what I would say a formal process yet. Uh, we've just been working with people that we've known for years and that customers are, are asking for. A lot of road still to go <laughs> to make this as robust as, as we want it to be, but we've made an incredible start and it's it's very exciting. And it, yeah, it sounds like a sort of community uh sort of crowdsourced, you know, by rec- either people you know or, or just by recommendations and referrals. And then how do you sell something like that? Because you don't collect any revenue until people start using it and the cost of selling. Actually, I don't know if the cost of selling has gone down now that you know people aren't able to or expected to get on planes anymore. But how do you find your customers and then sign them up? This is my fourth month in, but we have a, a fantastic pipeline and we're uh, channel partners with, with Aon. We're looking at some other large distribution channels as well that really help us with exposure into the marketplace. Um, but it's really being able to go to the contacts that we know and people that have been struggling with this, wanting to leverage a lot of these insure techs and or multiple providers in one you know, legacy system has been very difficult for some of the larger mm-hmm. carriers. And this is a problem we're tackling. We've heard it for several years now. We're not able to kind of get on a plane, but Zoom, Zoom's been good so far for us. Seems to be a lifesaver for uh, many people. I don't know how right? we'd survive. Yeah, five years ago, we'd have, we'd have struggled. We'd all be on Skype or something. Or... 
you've been looking at some other early stage companies. What do you see as being some of the most inter- interesting areas evolving in, in technology and analytics for insurance? I think that cybersecurity is very important. And I, I learned a lot about data tokenization. We worked with a company called TokenX. And this is really an interesting company because they were, they've been in the payment space you know, for over a decade and were very, very successful there. But there's a need for all of these companies and carriers to protect that data. So, and even with their third-party vendors. So if you, if you look back at We Go Look, I had access to carrier customer information. But if you actually use a data tokenization layer, um, you're never storing that customer information, not one time. So, you know, you can get hacked you don't have any information. It's all just numbers and characters. And I think that that's going to become more and more important because not only can, as we share more information across all these APIs, (laughs) you have to protect it, but you can actually incorporate um, some sort of protocol into your cybersecurity policy that will um, actually have your customers enforce using some sort of cybersecurity protocol. So Rob, there's a couple of other things I wanted to touch on. So just taking a slightly different direction, the insurance industry comes under criticism for lack of sort of female leaders and, and also in, in technology companies and early stage startup companies for females. I mean, there's a lot of, lot of recognition of that now. There's some initiatives out there, but you know, in your experience in the last few years, since this has become more noted, are things improving and then i guess the second question is you know what else can be done to help you know tap into a broader set of people that have got something you know, as you've shown to bring into this industry generally and build businesses that's not being done at the moment i agree it, it, it's on the investment side too so yes it's on founders but if you look at who the major investment firms are or private investors they're typically male as well so we i think we have to even take a step back further because it's, you know, you have to have uh, women who are receiving funding. Um, and I think it's, you know, easier to connect with a similar audience um, as a founder. So just, just as a side note there, I think we have to focus on the investment firms as well. But yes, I have seen over the last several years, definitely more of a focus on female founders. There's been multiple articles on how female founders will typically have, you know, a higher success rate than a male counterpart, just in general. But, you know, you've got the Questnay female founders in tech, you know, that program was created, I think, back in 2017, you know, and they're really expanded to include additional programs, not just in sure tech, but in other segments as well, or other industries. I have seen a lot more women become involved in the speaking circuit. I've seen event coordinators working hard to include women. And I, I actually just earlier this week interviewed just several amazing women. Um, you've got Martha Fry, you know, over at Nationwide. She's an SVP. Lori Pond over at, at the Auto Club Group. Kat Reese, Tower Hill Insurance. You've got women who are out there really making a difference in senior leadership roles. And I think that as you continue to see more and more women and and hear their stories, I think that will just have a ripple effect. And I think we have to also 
look at women who are raising families and have small children, we still have that, I think, mentality that it's okay for for men to go out and uh, chase their dreams. But I think we we still have a long ways to go, Matthew. (laughs) But, But we've made a lot of progress. I'll tell you that. Well, I've made progress, and I think we all recognize we've got a long way to go. Is it, there was an interesting data point you, you had in there that I wasn't aware of, which was that companies started by women have had a higher success rate. Is it, is, that's, that is mm-hmm. really interesting, actually. Is there a report on that or some, something? I, well, there, there have been several. Yes, there have been several. So let me, I will look for one and send it to you after our recording. That'd be great. We'll put it in the episode notes. Uh, and then the other one, just as you mentioned about the investors. So two of our members and actually two of other people I've interviewed are both partners at investment funds. So Ruth Fox, Blader at Anthemis, and then Martha Nataris at Brewer Lane, who who I both have huge respect for in terms of their view of the industry and and what's going on. And I, you know, there's a sort of honesty there as well that they just, they just call it as it is, which is very refreshing. And it's not always what everyone wants to hear, but it's, it's very helpful in terms of filtering out what's real from, you know, from what's noise. But yeah, I think certainly we can all do more in this area and you know, we ourselves are, are trying to do what we can to support that. And then finally, you were very gracious to offer to speak about some of your recent health issues and from the perspective of just a, a way of reminding people you know, some of the challenges in life, but also you know, your own experience from that. So I'll, I'll sort of basically pass that back over to you to, you know, to, to talk about that in the way you feel most appropriate. I appreciate that because I think we all stay so focused on our, you know, our professions and on our families that sometimes we forget to take care of ourselves. I know that that's my case. I've always had very good health. I've always been super high energy, just go, go, go. I've always felt like I've lived life to the fullest, you know, working hard, playing hard. But what I didn't do was focus on my health and taking care of myself on a regular basis. Um, And I was diagnosed with two different types of breast cancer earlier this year. So I've been uh, battling that and that was just kind of a big wake up call on, okay, instead of putting off doctor's appointments or rescheduling because I had another call, I, you know, you have to go to these, right? (laughs) And it was a really great time of reflection this year of, trying to put my health first. And I want to just kind of share that because I always put the business and my family before myself and, and I'm working hard to, to change that mentality, but you know, men can also get breast cancer. And I think that's a good reminder for, for people that are listening here. And of course, women, you know, please go get your annual mammogram. Um, Don't put it off. And so um, I've shared this, this bit with with some people here in the past and I've had received many messages of people saying thank you I'm gonna I'm not putting this off anymore or had some really supportive messages and so I'm hopeful that that hits home with someone to just you know we can't get everything done in a day the work will still be there so focus on you know your health because you want to be there for your family and of course you owe it to your organization to also be healthy. Well, Robin, it's very, it's very generous of you to share something so personal. It's just another a part of you, what you've done so well over your life in so many different ways. I mean, it really is inspiring what, what you've been able to do. And I just wish you, know, well, I wish you. you a, a, a quick and, and healthy recovery on that. And I think you just, you know, just part of this COVID 
I think as all of us probably experienced when we're in lockdown is is that sometimes the risk is just to head down and and work all day. And I, I do know that a number of our listeners are actually out exercising whilst they're they're listening to us. So it's just Yay. a reminder that yes, you can actually the joy of podcasts is you can actually work and exercise at the same time. So we try and you know, <laughs> help people out in that That's journey. Great. Um, yes. But Robin, that is no, it's been tremendous. I've really enjoyed talking to you, learning more about um, claim central consolidated and to get a bit, little bit more perspective behind we go look well thank you very much and i you know yeah, I hope, thank you yeah i hope before long we can see each other again in the flesh and yes. you don't have any ice storms anytime too soon <laughs> there in Oklahoma. <laughs> thank you and well i hope you have a wonderful holiday season and thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to spend this time with you i really enjoyed it as well thank you thank you Well, we covered so much in there and a lot to learn for all of us. And I'm immensely grateful to Robin for sharing so much. Thank you, Robin. We'll be including the links to the report Robin mentioned in the episode notes, as well as contact details for Robin. And you'll find the edited highlights of the discussion on the podcast section of the Instec London website, ideal for reviewing again or for sharing with others. You can find out what we're up to at Instec London on the website, www.instec.london and why we've over 17,000 people around the world from in and outside of insurance companies, large and small, that are regularly engaging with us. Please do keep in touch with me, Matthew Grant, on LinkedIn, or drop us an email, hello at Instec London, if you want to find out how we can help you share your stories, find your partners, clients, or just want some friendly advice.